Well, good evening again. Uh, and it's nice to be back with you on a, a Thursday. Thanks, Ted. Do we do in our church? <laughs> so we're uh, looking once again tonight. <laughs> well, oh yeah, I know. Oh, it won't give We're looking once again at Mark chapter 9. Um, remembering the verses from uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 that we have read to us tonight. But it's to uh, Mark chapter 9 that I'd like us to turn again to. I said Sunday morning that we were looking at the transfiguration of Jesus and that this um, out of the way story and and a very different story tucked away in in the middle of Mark that that looks a bit different to it certainly to everything that's gone before um, and is different from most things that, that, that happen later on this is a a, a unique story and, and one on its own but I'm going to read it to us again Mark chapter 9 and verse 2 uh, and we'll see how far we get down Mark 9 and verse 2 says now after six days Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launderer on earth can ever whiten them And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. We're back then, um, looking after a couple of days break since uh, since. Uh, Sunday morning we're back looking at the transfiguration of Jesus you know and and to sort of set the scene back where we are we're on a mountainside we're away from the crowds and away from the multitudes even away from most of the disciples and there are Peter, James and John here with Jesus And as we've read this evening, as these four individuals find themselves up on this high mountain, led there by Jesus himself, the most amazing things, strange things, start happening before the eyes of these three disciples, you know, and we can, um, we know them, as Peter, James and John, we know what they went on to do. And we know the wonderful things that happened as a result of the ministry of these three individuals. But here, they're just three ordinary men who are not experienced in this at all. And who have never seen anything like this before. But they have been with Jesus a, a couple of years. And they're trying their best to figure him out. And some things they can understand. And some things are going over the top of their head. And he leads them up the mountain on this occasion. 
and the most unbelievable things start happening. There are raiments that are brighter than any laundra on earth could ever get there. There's Moses and Elijah. As we uh, looked at on Sunday morning, there is the glory of Jesus displayed before their eyes for them to see the reality of who he is revealed in this conversation that he has of his decease that he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so for these three men, they're trying to sort of take this in, get to grips with it. God being glorified through the death of Jesus on Calvary, God's power and righteousness and judge uh, and justice, sorry, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and all these wonderful things becoming this reality before their eyes as Jesus starts to speak of his death and as, as thoughts and, and hearts and minds turn towards Calvary. So this evening, I said last um, on Sunday morning that we were going to ask the Bible and this passage three or four questions. Um, and on Sunday we looked at the question, why now? And this evening we're going to look at another of our questions, why Elijah? This is, in a very matter-of-fact way, the way that Mark approaches this. He says in verse 3, His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can ever whiten them, and Elijah appeared to them. It's a real understatement, I think, of what happens there on that mountain. You know, it, it raises a number of questions. Perhaps the, the biggest question for me, or the one that I always think, is, is how did Peter, James and John recognise that it was Elijah? And recognise that it was Moses? Now Moses, I can understand a bit, because I'm sure he looked like Chart Neston as he came down from the mountain, with his hair and glowing, and he, I'm sure he was carrying two tablets of stone. And so they would have thought, oh, there's Moses, a dead ringer from us, always how I imagined him. But Elijah, how does he recognise Elijah? You know, I suppose you could think, you could let your imagination run, and you could think, well, perhaps he had a t-shirt on. Elijah. Elijah and Moses. Perhaps Moses had a t-shirt on that said, I'm with Elijah. And Elijah had a t-shirt on, I'm with, with Moses. Perhaps the, the most um, understandable thing is perhaps Jesus introduced them. You know, and how amazing and incredible would that be? Peter, James and John, this is Elijah. Elijah, Peter, James and John. Strange things are happening on this mountainside. If it wasn't enough that the, the garments of Jesus start to shine with this unearthly white, heavenly white, such as nothing these, these three men had ever seen before, all of a sudden Moses and Elijah are talking to him. Now I, I have um, a very simplistic view of reading the Bible. I think it, the one that, that makes sense to me is to, is to look at the Bible and believe that if the Bible says something, then it means what it says. You know, and I don't want tonight to, to, to sort of delve into any hidden meanings or, or secret meanings behind what Mark was trying to say but could only come up with these human words. You know, I believe that 2,000 years ago on a mountain, these three men looked up and saw Moses and Elijah 
speaking with Jesus because that's what the Bible says. You know, it's, it's strange and it's amazing, but the Bible is full of strange and amazing things. This is one of them. You know, you couldn't have picked two greater men. You couldn't have picked two greater characters, I don't think, from the Bible. But when you look at Elijah, you can ask yourself the question, why him? Why Elijah? Why does he stand there on this day talking to <coughs> Jesus? What's the significance of Elijah being there? And then in six months' time, when I come back in October, we look at, at Moses. But for tonight, what is Elijah doing there? And it's important that we understand who Elijah was, some of the things that he did. Now, I think you've been looking at Elijah in your Bible and biscuits in, for about four or five years. So you know far more, maybe, than I do tonight. But to, just to give us a brief sort of summary and to bring us up to date with who this man is, he steps onto the scene of history in 1 Kings chapter 17, as we've read this evening, in the reign of a king called Ahab, at a time when Israel was being ruled by king after king after king. You know, and none of them, or none of the previous ones, were that great. In fact, they were pretty awful, these kings who ruled over the people of Israel. But in the midst of all these wicked kings, Ahab stands out even more. Because he, he is as bad, or even worse, than the ones who have come before him. God sort of singles him out in 1 Kings 17 as a particularly bad king. And a particularly awful king. Now as you, you read the things that Ahab did, there are some things that you think are silly that he does there are some things that you think are cruel that he does but the thing that makes Ahab stand out more than anything else is that he has brought into the royal throne of the nation of Israel a Gentile that's the, the great thing that makes Ahab stand out from everyone else he has married a Phoenician woman or a Canaanite woman. And this woman has brought with her the religion of the Gentiles. And the religion of the Canaanites. And she has worshipped from the throne of Israel or from, from the royal family of Israel. A God other than the true God. A God other than Jehovah. She has brought with her a false god called Baal that you know so much about. Or Baal, as you call him that. Which is a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> now, before long, that, that's, that's bad enough that there, there's a, a, someone in the royal family with this position of authority and position of, of influence, even as a woman in that era. But she has a position and an authority in Israel, that's bad enough. But before long, Ahab is moving towards her, and towards her faith, and towards her religion, and towards her worship. And he becomes a worshipper, not of God now, but of Baal too. And he moves across to her. You know, and as you read Kings, you can see Israel 
starting to go with him. The whole of, of the nation are looking at this new God and different God and God who promises different things to their God who they've known about for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, we, we know all about God, but this is a new God. And, and this is a new faith. And this is a new religion. And this is new things for us to do. And it comes with, with new promises. And new doctrines and, and new loads of other things. And so Ahab starts to go across and all of Israel starts to go with him. And all of a sudden this nation of Israel that is set apart for God, that God has done so much for over the years, starts to go towards Baal and starts to move away from him. Now you'd think that Israel would have risen up that the men and, and women of Israel would have risen up against Ahab and, and said, it's alright being a wicked king and a useless king. It's alright being a cruel king, but this is too much. You are taking us away from the God who has done so much for us. You are leading this nation away from the God who has achieved so much for us. You would have thought that if anyone was going to rise up, it would be Israel. Because Israel was so blessed by God. Look at what the Lord has done for us, you would expect them to say. Look at how God has brought us out of Egypt. Look at how God has opened the Red Sea for us. Look at how God has established us in the promised land. You'd expect Israel to rise up and to say these things and overthrow this worshipper of a foreign god. But none of that happens in the book of Kings. Israel starts to drift and starts to lose sight of God and starts to drift towards the newness of a foreign god. I live in fear of my laptop. <laughs> They start to drift towards the worship of this foreign God, this new God, this different God, and away from the worship of the true God. <coughs> and in 1 Kings 17, God, the true God, and the God who has called them, the God who has looked after them, and the God who has been with them since he called them, the God who has rescued them from Egypt and slavery and the God who opened the Red Sea for them and the God who has established them in the, the promised land. In 1 Kings 17, God responds to the drifting away of Israel. Now, I don't think it's so much the cruelty of, of Ahab or the stupidity of Ahab. I think it's God responding to the drifting away of Israel. <coughs> No, it seems to me that as you read the Old Testament, God is protective of his relationship with Israel. And there is no way he is letting it go. And when it starts to drift like this, God time and time and time again responds. And in 1 Kings 17, he responds again. And his response in this case is to send Elijah. And onto the scene of history 
comes this man, Elijah. If we turn quickly to 1 Kings 17. This one gives us this introduction of Elijah onto the scene of history. Elijah the Tishbite says, verse 1, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Now quite an introduction. And it says an awful lot about this man. Because out of nowhere, in walks this man, to the most powerful of men in the nation. To a bad king, a rubbish king, a stupid king, a dangerous king, and a cruel king. Now, and into his presence goes Elijah, and he makes this boldest, most courageous of statements. God's response is to send Elijah. And as we read there, this brave man, this courageous man, stands up to this most wicked king. No, that could have been the beginning and the end of Elijah, right there, if this wicked king of Ahab had decided to end his life. So it's in bravery, and using courage that this man who is God's man stands up to this wicked king and Elijah is used by God to get God's message across to the king to the queen and more than that to the people of Israel he is God's man to get God's message out to his people now as Sophie read tonight then if you would have counted the times that the word of the Lord that phrase the word of the Lord is either used word for word or alluded to in 1 Kings 17 you would have well I, I got up to 8 and then I, I stopped counting so in a, in a chapter that's what 24 verses long at least 8 times and probably more the, the word or the phrase, the word of the Lord, is used in relationship to this man, Elijah. The word of the Lord. Verse 2 of 1 Kings 17 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying. So his calling and his ministry in 1 Kings 17 is all about the word of the Lord it's the word of the Lord coming to Elijah and then the word of the Lord being spoken by Elijah to Ahab to Jezebel to all the nation of Israel so Elijah spends these next chapters doing that with lots of different people hearing what God says and then speaking it out Becoming God's mouthpiece. So God not speaking to Ahab and not speaking to Israel directly, but God speaking to Elijah and then Elijah being God's man and God's prophet and God's mouthpiece and speaking out this message of God. 
You know, that's Elijah. Now we come back to Mark chapter 9. And we're a long, long way from this court of Ahab. We're a long way from Kerith or Zarephath or any of those places in geography, maybe a little bit in time, certainly. Hundreds of years have gone by, give or take, about 800, perhaps, years have passed by. And now, this deliverer of the word of God, this mouthpiece, this messenger of the word of God, stands next to Jesus on a mountain. Stands next to Jesus, the Son of God. You know, and these three men, these three ordinary disciples who are trying to get their head around it, are looking at him. The messenger of God on one side, the mouthpiece of God who is used to deliver time and time again and communicate the word of God to kings and queens and to the nation of Israel. They are watching him stand next to Jesus. Peter and James are there, but John is there too. John the disciple, who tradition would have it, is a young man when Jesus meets him. is a young man as he goes through the things that he goes through in the earthly ministry of Jesus. John, this young man, is terrified on this mountain amazed, bewildered trying to get to grips with everything that goes on John the disciple is standing there watching all of this now years later when young John has become old John he writes his gospel and he puts into words the things that he sees and the things that he understands and the things that have been revealed to him by God about the Christ who stands there on a mountain talking to the messenger of God. John chapter 1 says this In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it if we skip down a few verses and come to verse 14 John says this and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, I don't know if he is. But it sounds to me there as if John is talking about that day. And that occasion. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld we understood we looked at 
his glory, the reality of who he is, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No, and so you have in the words of John, the disciple, who is on that mountain looking at this scene, you have the deliverer of the word of God in Elijah standing next to Jesus who is the word of God. The messenger, the deliverer, the hearer and the speaker of the word of God is standing next to Jesus who is the word of God. The word become flesh. You know, and it's, it's this amazing picture. This wonderful event and wonderfully physical picture of the fact that there was a time in the history of the world and in the history of men and women and particularly in the history of Israel there was a time when God used men like Elijah to speak his word there was a time when God spoke to men and called them to deliver and to speak his wonderful word. Now there is a time, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful. Now there is a time when he is speaking to us, not through Elijah anymore, as wonderful as he was. But when he speaks to us himself, face to face, in the person of his son. Once there was a time when God used wonderful, brave, courageous men like Elijah. He showed them his word. He told them to deliver his word. But that time has passed by. Now gloriously and wonderfully he is speaking to us himself face to face through the person of his son. No, and, and for you and me as Christians tonight that has wonderful benefits because now there is no need to wait for God to use someone else no that's what it was like to be a Jew that's what it was like to live in Israel in Old Testament times God would anoint someone and would uh, choose someone and would gift someone they'd come with a wonderful message and then they'd die and then the nation would be Waiting for the next. You know, and time and years and years and going. And then someone else would come on the scene. And you think, right, well, the word of God is back then. And we can understand it now and we can hear what God is having to say. And, and then that time would be over and, and they'd wait and they'd wait and they'd wait. And they'd be looking and looking and looking for God to do the next thing and for God to rise up the next person. And for God to speak in that way time and time and time again. But you and me, we are not Old Testament Israel. We are New Testament Christians. And there is a wonderful benefit in that. Because we are not looking at our watches. And we are not, well you might be tonight. But you know, we're not genuine, generally wondering when God is going to raise up someone else. And when God is going to speak to us again and wonder why the heavens have been silent year after year after year and look for God to do the next thing or the new thing. Now, 
as his people there is no need to wait and look and long for the next prophet now there is no need for you and me to, to wait for God to rise up someone else and to speak through someone else you know now there is no need for you and me in Esther tonight to look longingly towards Israel and to look longingly to Nazareth or to Galilee or to Jerusalem or Kerith or Zarephath or any of those places there's no need now for us to wish God would speak to us like that if only we could hear God's voice like that there's no need now to look thousands of miles away and wish God would speak to me like that or would speak to us like that now God is speaking now God is speaking and he's speaking himself he's not speaking through anyone else he's not speaking through a mouthpiece or a vessel but he's here with us this is God with us one of us in the person of his precious son Jesus the word of God Jesus the message of God who has become flesh and has dwelt among us you know it would be wonderful enough I think if what this story were to tell us is that God has changed his way of communication you know that, that's perhaps what it sounds like up to now that once he spoke through Elijah and now he speaks through Jesus but once he spoke through Elijah to Israel and now he speaks through Jesus to the world you know and, and, and that is true but I don't think that goes far enough in what this strange but, but story that is growing on me would, would tell us I think it, it tells us more than that it's not just God saying well I used to speak through Elijah. I won't speak through Elijah anymore. I'll, I'll speak through Jesus now. Because John would tell us, and it's important for us to understand, I think, that it's not Jesus who is speaking the word of God. It's Jesus who is the word of God. It's not just a message that comes through someone else. It's a whole new message now. This is God with us. This is what Elijah has been talking about and leading us to all of these years. This is what God has been doing for hundreds and thousands of years. Everything has been pointing up to the moment when God's word just wouldn't be spoken, but God's word would be revealed and would dwell with you and me. You know, this is not just a communication thing. But the whole message of God has changed now. And whereas Elijah was pointing forward to a time, a time that would come, and not on his own, Abraham was doing the same, and Moses was doing the same, and Elisha was doing the same, and Isaiah, and Je I'm going to go through them all, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of those are pointing towards this time 
All of those are wonderfully used by God. They hear the word of God, they speak the word of God, but their time is over because the time of looking forward has gone. Now it's here. Christ is here. And he's on a mountain in Israel, revealing himself in his wonderful glory and in his love and in his majesty and forgiveness and grace. This is it, says God. This is what I've been talking about for all these years. This is what I've been pushing you towards all these years. This is the pinnacle of my revelation to the world. This is what it's all been about. All of those books. All of those messages. All of those sacrifices. All of those temples. Everything has been pointing its way to the moment that I would stand upon the earth and be present with my people. Be present here with all of humanity. Now this this verse or this story is greater than God changing his means of communication. This is God saying, this is it. This is what it's all been about. I'm with you in a way that I never have been before I'm with you and I'll never ever leave. Hebrews chapter 1 sort of summarizes it a little bit. When it says, God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now you could write there, Elijah. God who at various times in the past, and in various ways to various different people, in times past, spoke by the prophets. Verse 2 says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. Now, you know, if, if Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews had just stopped there at the end of verse 2, then you would think that this was just that the only change is God using someone else instead of Elijah, using Jesus instead of Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But the writer of the Hebrews goes on and t- he tells us all about Jesus now. Because Jesus isn't just the mouthpiece of God. And Jesus isn't just the, the messenger of God. This is what Hebrew says of him. Who be in the brightness of his glory. The express image of his person. Upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is you. And it makes redundant everything that has gone before. These great and these wonderful people, wonderfully used by God, who heard the word of God and spoke the word of God, but this story will tell us that their time is over now because God himself is standing here on a mountaintop in Israel. God himself is here in all of his glory, in all of his power. God himself is is here purging our sins, 
God himself is here offering us his forgiveness. God in himself is here making a way where there seemed to be no way. God is standing on a mountain top in Israel speaking. The message and the word of God here or there with those three ordinary men. You know, and perhaps more importantly tonight, here with us, as we meet tonight, God Himself, here where we are this evening, in a glorious and in a wonderful way, the God who has been talked about for years in the past, yet is a present reality for you and me. The God who we were so far away from has made a way where he can be with us tonight and we can continually be in his presence not on a mountain top in Israel only but in a church in a strut in the Ronda tonight here with you and me this evening here with you and me in the most difficult circumstances of our lives here with you and me as we meet other people and we witness of him here with you and me when things are going great and things are wonderful and things are glorious here with you and me when we are confused or when we are disappointed or when we are angry or when we are upset the time of the prophet is over God speaks to us in the person of his son no there is now no need for Elijah or is there now Elijah is part of Mark chapter 9 a couple of years ago um, I read a, a tweet by a, a, a preacher a Welsh preacher who asked a question to other preachers if you had one last sermon to preach if you could get up one more time and preach a sermon what would it be for Elijah and you know all about him through your Bible and biscuits he's preached thousands of sermons I suppose and he's given loads and loads of messages and he's declared the word of the Lord time and time and time again. You know what, if you'd have said to Elijah, if you had one more chance, one more opportunity to go back there again. Can you imagine Elijah in heaven? Someone said, if you had one more, if you go back and preach one more time, out of everything you said, if you could go and, and speak one more sermon or deliver one more sermon, what would it be? You know what, and for, for you and me tonight, we don't even have to wonder that because amazingly, <laughs> Elijah has one more time. He's been dead hundreds of years, but in the wisdom and the provision of God, there is one more chance. To go back, to stand on the earth and preach one more time. 
Now what's he going to say? You're going to talk about Baal. Are you going to talk about the drought? Is he going to talk about Carmel? Is he going to preach about the fire falling from heaven? Is he going to preach about Jezebel and the priests of Baal and all the fire and all these wonderful things? What's his subject going to be? You know, Elijah had one more chance, one more time. And he talked about Calvary. Out of everything that he could have said, him and Elijah, they spoke of the decease of Jesus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You know, it tells us this evening, if, if Elijah was here, standing in this pulpit, or if Elijah was here, and speaking and communicating the people of the Rhonda or of Wales or of wherever he was Elijah would talk to them about Jesus he would talk to them about God's son he would talk to them about God the word of God becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us he would talk to us about that time when Christ would purge the sins of all of the world and would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. If Elijah was here now, he would talk to us about Christ and Christ crucified. No, Elijah's not here. But there's no need of him because we are here. You and me. You know, and we might perhaps at some times lack his, his bravery and his courage. And you could think, well, would I have gone into the, the throne room of, of Ahab and shouted down this king in his wickedness and his cruelty and his, his blasphemy? But you and me are not called to do that. We're called to declare the word of God. Called to declare Jesus the Son of God who has loved us and has given his life for us. You know, at the end, and it's, there's a, a bit of a spoiler here because we'll pick it up again in October, God willing. In verse 8, after Peter makes his disastrous mistake, verse 8 of Mark 9 says, Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus. The words of God ringing in their ears. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And I said that, yes, uh, Sunday evening, that everything changes because of Calvary. And Elijah's time has changed because of Calvary. And there's no need of him now. Jesus is here. The beloved son of God. Hear him. Jesus, the word of God, God's final word on the subject. The word of God, who brought the world into being, says John. The word of God who shares with me that God loves me. 
and has sent his son to die for me. And he whispers because he's that close that he will never leave me or forsake me. And that he has made his home within me. This is my beloved son. Thank you again. For his name's sake.